Well, let's uh, jump in this morning, and if you want to turn your Bibles to Galatians 6, I'm going to start there in verse 7. Father, just open our hearts today, Lord. Our hearts are full because of your love and just this beautiful time of lifting up worship to you. Lord, we are a church that honors your presence and also the Word. We're people of the Spirit and of the Word. Those things aren't competing things, they go together. And uh, Lord, we need your presence, but we also need the guidance and the life of your word. It's like air, and it's like the food that we eat. So Lord, just feed us today. Let your word have a perfect work in our hearts. And I pray, Lord, that you would equip, heal, restore, convict, uh, give us guidance, even correction where it's appropriate, Lord. Lead us by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So here's the question for you today. What have you planted in your spiritual garden? Janice and I had a wonderful place to live when we first got married. It was about a year after we got married. We had an opportunity to move onto a farm. The uh, farmer that had lived there, his family had come from Massachusetts to Ohio in the 1840s. And uh, he had, uh, after his retirement, built five rental properties on, the, on his big property. 60 acres were left. At one point, he had 640 acres. He had the whole square, but there were 60 acres left and uh, beautiful spring water. And uh, we, we moved into that place, and we just loved uh, living there. So Wynan Snyder and his wife, they taught us how to garden. They taught Janice and I how to do organic gardening. And we kind of lived as a com- in a community. And uh, this was uh, many years ago. Um, I guess uh, Wine and Snyder would probably be about 110 years old today, so he's been gone for a while. But uh, one, one year, he said, you know, we need to bring in some soil because uh, we've lost through erosion here in the garden. We need to bring in. And he brought in this soil, and it, you, you can get different kinds of soil. This was not baked topsoil. This was just raw topsoil. And what we didn't know is there were seeds in there of wild buckwheat. Anybody know what wild buckwheat is? Some, I heard that exclamation. Well, for the next six years that we lived there, we had a battle against wild buckwheat. And I didn't even know what it was. And I remember Mr. Snyder coming out one day and he says, oh no, we've got wild buckwheat. And I thought, what's that? But I've got to tell you, when you have things in your garden that you're not aware of, and all of a sudden you see a harvest popping up. So we had corn and we had wild buckwheat. We had tomatoes, we had wild buckwheat. Guess what grows faster than the vegetables? Wild buckwheat. So the question today is, what do you have in your garden? Do you have weeds? Anybody here have wild buckwheat, spiritual wild buckwheat in your life? Those are the things that come up you didn't expect. And I, and I guarantee you that many people in the world don't realize that our life is like a garden and that what you plant, you will get a harvest. Sometimes we plant things and we don't realize what we're putting in the soil of our hearts. Galatians 6, 7 says this, do not be deceived. So this is a warning label. Like the warning label that says, do not use your snowblower on your roof. (laughs) There are reasons why they're there. Somebody did that one day. So here God is saying, don't be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh. And by the way, this is not just our physical body, but what he's talking there is our sinful nature. So he says, if you sow to please your sinful nature, you will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. 
And as we talk, talk about our response as followers of Jesus to the sexual revolution and to all of the sexualization of our society, I think these words need to be first and foremost in our hearts, that we need to be careful what we sow. And God won't be mocked. People, people think they can get away with things. But sooner or later, whatever you plant will come up as a harvest. So what is a Christian response to the sexual revolution? Well, the sexual revolution, as I defined last week, um, starting in the 1960s, has been both a major contributing factor and a result of the strategy of deconstructing Christian influence base in society. The summary from last week, I said the church has not always responded well to those who are caught in sexual sin or gender confusion. We need to be the people that fully proclaim the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ, but we need to love everybody, and God loves everybody. I don't care if you're Muslim, Buddhist, Christian. I don't care if you're gay, trans, straight. God loves everybody. Everybody is made in God's image. There are some religious people that think God loves some people more than other people. And if we're honest about it, sometimes it's easier for us to love certain people that don't make us uncomfortable. Isn't that true? But there are people that make us uncomfortable, and all of us have a different list of who makes us uncomfortable. Okay? For me, it's people that drink Coca-Cola. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I just think, don't put that in your body, please. We need to fully proclaim God's truth and love as Jesus did. And I shared that out of John 8 last week. So today we're going to take a little bit uh, deeper look at that. And if we could go to a quarter two, usually I try to end uh, before that. But it, can we do that? Can we take 25 minutes and jump into this? I want to clarify something from last week. The issue is not about homosexuality or transgenderism. Those are just some of the latest expressions that have been controversial in our society. Uh, let's be honest about it. We're going through a shift. Our grandparents, or maybe even your parents, uh, wouldn't recognize uh, where we are. If you went back in time 20 years, uh, people would say, what has happened to society? And yet there are some people today that say, what's the big deal? Well, there has been a shift. So, and, and I want to say this too, not all gays or not all transgenders are political activists. I don't want to give the impression that people are out to automatically change society. Most people are really just looking for friendship. They're looking for somebody to complete, complete their life. The problem is the sexual brokenness of our culture is across the board. A lot of people are looking to fulfill the deep longing in their heart and they're looking the wrong way because they've grown up in a world that is so broken and I, I know it's just my experience, but I, I counseled a lot of gay men when I worked in university ministry. I mean, a lot of them. There were so many of them. I said to Janice one time, I said, what's going on? We've got all these. And, and we just we rejoiced in the Lord, but we weren't really prepared uh, fully to, uh, to help them. But as I talked to these guys, uh, almost all of them had been sexually abused in some way as children. And it broke my heart to hear that. That's not true of every gay person, but for a lot of them it was. And, and they would come to us and they'd say, I don't want to feel this way, but I do. And I, I, don't, I don't want to be drawn to people of the same sex, but I do. I know what the Bible says is true, but what, do you, what can you tell me? How can you help me? So there are people out there that are struggling, whether you're gay or straight. Uh, th that's uh, an issue that the Lord has to heal. And there are a lot of people that are living in sexual brokenness. We need to know as a church how to minister to their needs. I do have to tell you this. Everybody has a need for authentic friendship. And I think that's what a lot of people are looking for. And they'll settle for a sexual encounter when they really have a longing in their heart that's not going to make them feel used. 
They just don't know where to go to get that. Well, guess who can provide that? The church of the Lord Jesus Christ that says, we don't care what you look like. We don't care what you're doing. We want to love you. And if you will come here, we can show you the way. And I tell people that are struggling with their sexuality or gender or whatever, I have my own struggles. I don't know about you. I have, there, I have so many things. I, I can say like the Apostle Paul, I've been through freedom prayer more than ye all. <laughs> Somebody said, so are there any strongholds left? I'm proud of the fact that I've been, no. Some of you caught that. We have to love the people around us. And these people need to experience God's love and power. If we expect them to change from the outside in, then we're being disingenuous because that's what God has done the opposite in us. He's changed us from the inside out. The problem with religious people is sometimes we expect people to conform and look like us and agree with us, or we won't let them in our doors and we won't love them. That's not Jesus. Jesus says, so where are your accusers? I love when we sing that song, where are your accusers now? And we can look at the people and say, we don't accuse you either, but God wants you to know that what you're doing is not good for you, and we want to help you break that. That's what Galatians, that scripture I read, is all about. We also have to speak out about culture and law without condemning those we interact with. This is hard to communicate. There are a lot of so-called conservatives that have a very cutting edge on them. They don't have the love of God, and they treat people like they're garbage. That's why it's hard for me to identify with certain political movements because they don't speak the words of Christ. They may speak truth, but truth without love is cutting sometimes. Can I just be frank about that? Here's the other side of the equation, though. We need to protect our children, especially in the environment that we are in. Janice says something. I'll quote my wife. She says, the culture that we're in is a child abuser. The whole culture. Our world has become so sexualized, it's hard to cruise the internet. It's hard to go down the street. It's hard to go to school. And our little elementary school kids are finding out information that we never got until we were well into our teens. That's the way the world is right now. So here's my question this morning. Isn't it time to ask the question, is the sexual Revolution and moral relativism failed us, and there are people in the world that aren't Christian that are even asking that question now. Interesting op-ed piece that I mentioned last week. Uh, the title was, this is in the New York Times by Daphne Merkin. It's uh, publicly we say, hashtag me too, privately we have misgivings. Merkin comments on all the high-profile men who are being called out on sexual harassment and, and, and assault. And she indicates that there's essentially a confusion on the standards of behavior. And really, society doesn't know where to go. If you read the whole article, we won't take time today. I'm just going to read this one quote. She says, quote, And what exactly are men being accused of? What's the difference between harassment and assault and inappropriate conduct? There's a disturbing lack of clarity about the terms being thrown around and a lack of distinction regarding what the spectrum of objectionable behavior really is. Shouldn't sexual harassment, for instance, imply a degree of hostility? Later in the article, she says, we are witnessing the remoralization of sex, not via Judeo-Christian ethos, but via a legalistic corporate consensus. So what we are seeing now is secular legalism, and there aren't any real rules. So a guy who really authentically loves somebody 
that steps out and, and at work and goes to kiss the woman he's been working with as his co-worker is all of a sudden put in the same category as somebody that's a rapist. Okay? The problem is our society has gutted all the rules and regulations, okay? And they've taken out the Judeo-Christian ethic, and now they're trying to replace it, and it's not going to come out well for them. How do I know that? Because when you reject God, it's not going to come out well. There's going to be a, a very... Let me just put it this way. You don't have to be religious to be a Pharisee. Now, listen, I know people very close to me, a lot of people, and people in this church that have shared stories with me, there is real sexual harassment work going on in the workplace, and the way that women are treated, it's a scandal. I've got news for you. If you obey the laws of God and walk in the ways of the Lord, that doesn't happen. So guess what the world's trying to do? They're trying to change people from the outside through law instead of allowing teaching to change the heart of man so that we fulfill what God has created us to be. That will not come out well either. Benjamin Rush, one of the signers of the Declaration of Independence, I'm going to kind of, this is a Pastor Joe quote, I don't know it verbatim, but he said, if men will not be governed by the fruit of self-control, they will be governed by an ever-burgeoning body of laws that will come to oppress and crush them. If we don't voluntarily press into self-control, some of our founding fathers, and I know that they were flawed men, they weren't perfect. The, the men and women that founded this country weren't perfect. But I do know this, they believe that true Republican democracy, a, re a representative democracy, government could not work unless you were walking in the ways of God. Very interesting, isn't it? Three key strategies have been employed in the last 50 years, and I want you to be aware of this. I felt like the Lord said you need to expose this. Three strategies that have tried to destroy traditional biblical-based morality in society. We need to know this because we need to help our children, we need to speak out, and we need to stand against these things. Number one, using judicial activism rather than open legislative process. For some of you, our government, the way it's working now, may seem natural. If you go back 50 or 60 years in time, it was unheard of to see the activism that we're seeing in the courts today. To see a court say to the executive branch, you can't do that, never happened. Never. But judicial activism has become a, a, a challenge to the legislative process. So while moral conservatives have sought to establish just laws, morals, liberals, and progressives use lawsuits to topple laws. The ACLU has been the largest force in doing this. One example is Ohio's 2004 Defense of Marriage Act. And by the way, 1996, one of the best things that Bill Clinton did as president was to, to pass a national Defense of Marriage Act. He defined marriage as between one man and one woman. In 2004, Ohio passed a bill, and it passed 68% of Ohio and said that marriage should be between one man and one woman, and that's they reaffirmed traditional marriage as the uh, basis for marriage in society. Did you know that even some government officials ignored the DOMA law? There were mayors, there were governors that said, we don't like the law, and we're going to recognize gay marriage anyway because we think the law is wrong. That especially happened in Washington State, California, and a number of other places. The mayor of San Francisco, they said, we're not going to follow DOMA. 
And the last president of the United States, President Obama himself, did not really stand behind or support, or the Justice Department stood behind that law. Now, they may think they're right in doing that, but imagine if I said, I don't think the law for women to have a right to abortion is right, so I'm just going to do everything I can to destroy everything with my own power. How would that go over well? What if I said, and some people are doing this right now, why should I stop at a red light, you know? I've got to get to work. <laughs> in 2004, 2003 and 2004, I remember going around, I, I circulated petitions to get this on the ballot in Ohio because I felt we needed to make a statement that marriage needed to be protected. It wasn't a statement of hating any group. It's just that I think that we need to recognize that if marriage is destroyed, the very fabric of our society unravels. And guess who hurts the most in that? Children. See, that's my concern. You want to talk, I go back to, you know, Bill Clinton was not my favorite president, but he, he was always saying we need to do it for the children. And he passed a good law there. Kudos to him on that. And in one stroke of a pen, the courts just threw it out. One judge. And it's out. It's over. Just like that. Well, we gathered signatures. It's called a referendum. We put it all together. I remember going to uh, the Hudson Ministerium, and only one of the pastors of the Hudson Ministerium signed that petition. And this is part of the problem. The person that signed the petition was the Baha'i lady, sweet lady. She turned around that day and she said, what is wrong with you Christian pastors? She said, don't you realize that this is going to be the beginning of the end of your civilization? And I walked out brokenhearted. See, liberal Christianity threw everything under the bus a long time ago. And that's part of the problem, the reason that we're in this problem today. And I have no problem saying that because I was there. But after working hard with thousands of people all over the state to get it on the ballot, spending lots of money to do it and get this done, all of a sudden one court, one judge comes along and says, nope, can't do it. When it's been the law of the land for hundreds of years. That's one of the strategies, using judicial activism to strike down laws. The second is using a civil right argument to defend sexual behavior. I was talking to an African-American pastor recently, and I said, how do you feel about people that are part of sexual uh, subgroups, affinity groups, I'll use that terminology, that are saying that they deserve the same civil rights as African-Americans and Hispanics? And he said to me, well, there were two, two African-American pastors that said we're deeply offended by that. We can't change who we are, but some of these people change their desires just like this, their affinity back and forth. And I've had friends that I've seen that have changed back and forth. This is an important question to ask. What are some of the next behavior groups that will claim civil rights status? and erode morality in the U.S. Polyamory, that's group marriage. That's where a bunch of people say we're all married. It works really well, by the way, with inheriting things. You want to talk about a burden on the court system? Divorce between two people is one thing. What about divorce between a group of five people that are fighting over pro common property? And by the way, there have already been things that are proposed to the courts. How about lower, lowering the age of consent? That's already been proposed, too. And I'll share something with you a little bit later. There's a, a whole new thing that I wasn't aware of, and I'll share what's going on. It's in college textbooks all over America right now. 
The third thing is the argument that if you disagree philosophically with these moral relativists, you're a hater. See, moral relativism allows everybody to speak unless you believe in something that is immutable, unchangeable, and true. And if you believe that, well, who, who's in that category? Christians, real followers of Jesus, Orthodox Jews. Now, some people think conservative is a bad word. I don't mind that word at all because conservative means to conserve. It means to protect something that is worth saving. I'm not politically conservative. In some ways, I'd be considered very liberal. But when it comes to moral things, I'm very conservative because I think God spoke. He is the designer. He's given us a design. And if we go against his design, we're going to have trouble not only individually, but in the rest of society. What is the fruit of the rejection of the biblical view of sexuality and the rise of moral relativism? I, there are eight things, and you could probably come up with more, but let's look at the next slide up there. Number one, the rules for relationship between men and women are more confusing than ever. And that's what this lady was saying in the New York Times op-ed piece. Number two, sexually transmitted diseases and infections are more rampant than ever. If you're a student in Ohio and you go to a campus in Ohio and you decide to have indiscriminate sex and just hook up the hookup culture with somebody on the campus, you have a one in two chance of getting an STI. One in two. I'd like to go to Vegas with those odds of winning one in two, but I wouldn't want those odds against me. Think about that. And why aren't we hearing about that in the news? The CDC puts those articles out, but very few journalists are putting those out. If they do, they're on page 15 or 20. Many of these have no cure. And honestly, I'm brokenhearted. When I have friends come to me or the parents of children come to me that say, my child got involved sexually, they've contracted this, and now they're not going to be able to have children. Look at the link between some of the diseases like HPV and cervical cancer, and it's chilling. Now, people will say, is God judging people? No, I think what he's saying is, please follow my design. If you don't follow my design, there are going to be consequences because I didn't design you to work that way. Is the are the people that designed the snowblowers responsible for the guy that takes it up to clear his roof off? but you're using it outside of the bounds of what you're supposed to do with a snowblower. It doesn't work. I watched Home Alone 3 recently. I had never watched it before. Some of you that saw that, remember the guy that runs right over his head? If a snowblower really runs over your head, it doesn't just give you a weird haircut. Okay? And the same thing is true about our sexuality. It's a powerful gift. The most powerful gifts have the greatest consequences when you don't use them the right way. That's what the Lord is telling us. He's not an angry God who's out to punish us. He's a loving God who says, if you do things my way, you'll be, you'll be blessed and you'll be happy. By the way, the statistics show that the people that are most fulfilled in their sexual relationship are evangelical Christians and Orthodox Jews. There's scientific research out there that says sex is best experienced in a loving relationship where there is commitment between two people till death us do part and that's where good things happen. And nobody's talking about that. But it's true. Gender dysphoria, the third thing. Romans 1 tells us this. And by the way, Romans 1 is often misinterpreted 
but it's talking about a society that rejects truth. And it says if you reject truth, you will also start to get confused about God's design for who you are. There's a strong agenda, by the way, and I'm not going to talk about it today. The state of Washington is trying to adopt principles. They're teaching it starting in kindergarten about um, changing your gender and how you have the opportunity to choose how you are and who, how you will express your sexuality to kindergartners. Parents are rising up against that, and I read the, the uh, news article, but I also read the parents that are organizing, and I pr pray that God blesses them. Number four, 60 million. It's now over 60 million unborn, unborn children terminated because it was not convenient for them to be born. Do you know the Bible says that God knit us together in our mother's womb? How can the Lord prophesy about people in the word and say, even before you were formed in the womb, I knew you? And yet we cavalierly end lives. This week, Planned Parenthood came out against the new legislation that says if a child is born alive in the, in the case of an abortion, that that life has to be uh, saved. And Planned Parenthood has now opposed that. They say, kill the baby. That's happening right now in, our, in the House of Representatives. The Bible tells us that blood cries out from the ground. There is a blood guilt on the land. God says, I will call for an accounting for all blood that is spilled on the land. Do you remember uh, the first murder, Cain and Abel? And the Lord said to Cain, your brother's blood is talking to me. Because every person made in God's image has value to God and should have value to us. A divorce rate, and thanks be to God, the divorce rate in America has dropped in the last three years. It's starting to go down, and so is the rate for abortion. The divorce rate of 40 to 50% has been where we've been for someone who's being married in 2016. And it's hard to tell because some people have been divorced more than once. You know what I have to say about this. If you've had an abortion, if you've been divorced, it's, it's, the Lord condemns that, but God can heal you. He wants to heal you, wants to restore you. When I spoke on behalf of life as a campus pastor at Kent State, I remember going into a residence hall for the first time. There were about 40 women in the room, and one of the women said, I went to this big clinic in Akron, and nobody told me what was really happening. And she said, I'm glad you're talking about this because I know it was a baby, and I've been haunted ever since. And she began to cry. And one after another, girls in that room began to share. And I, wasn't, I came into that meeting. I wasn't supposed to be able to talk about religion. That's how I got there. I showed them a PBS video. And the residence hall director said, what are we going to do? And I said, would you mind if I talk, talked about God's forgiveness? I won't be religious. She said, please do. You've got to do something. <laughs> So I told them about God's forgiveness, and I led them in prayer. There were about 35 women out of that group that stayed to pray and to talk because they needed healing in their hearts. See, this is the problem. We need to condemn the sin, but we need to love. And that's a hard place to be, but we need to be there. Number six, sex attitudes. Sex and attitudes towards sex seems to be focused more on selfish pleasures rather than on a shared life founded in covenant love till death us do part. And if you really talk to a lot of people and a lot of books that are being put out there in the secular realm, it's all about how I can get the maximum pleasure out of another person. 
instead of helping that other person to grow and be everything that God has created them to be and being dedicated to them, loving them as much when we're having coffee as when we're being intimate. Does that make sense? Caring for one another. Number seven, sex is increasingly being paired with violence and domination, and this is evident in what's coming out of Hollywood. And folks, I've got to tell you, it's what's happening right now, the violence that is connected with sexuality is going to talk about a bad harvest. It's going to be bad. We're already seeing it. And number eight, most disturbingly, the sexualization of children at earlier and earlier ages School curriculums are forcefully pushing anything but biblical, traditional standards of sexuality, gender, and relationships. We received a notice in the Hudson Hub that uh, the textbooks for the city are going to be open for review of anybody that lives here. I would encourage you, in most school systems, they allow that. Go get involved and find out what's being taught in your school systems. You may be surprised. As long as you're a taxpayer, you you don't have to have kids in school. As long as you're a taxpayer, you are paying for those books. Go take a look at what's there. And I would say, parents, if you have your children in a public school, and we had our kids, we, people said, do you homeschool or do you have your kids in public school? We had our kids in public school, Catholic school, that was in Spain, Christian school, and we homeschooled. Ask the kids what they like best. They said homeschool. Number two, public school. Number three, Christian school. Number four, Catholic school. That's what, that's what my kids told me. <laughs> Sorry, that's just the way it is. So we ask the question, and how do we respond? Can't we just ignore what's going on, mind our own business, and love Jesus? Moral relativism has been the dominant worldview for a while in the public schools. The issue is not going to disappear. There is also a move to limit speech rights using hate speech. There are whole groups of people that want to silent any Christian voice. And I have to tell you, you can't get away from the battle. It's coming to you. We need to ask the question about our children. Can we expose them to authority that is directly opposed to God in his truth and open hostility? Sexual liberationists want to push the envelope, and they're not going to end with this. They always have a new frontier. The reason why I can't be a progressive is because progressives believe that truth is often shifting, and it really depends on the situation that you're in. I can't be there. I can't live there as a Christian, okay? This came out this week. This is from Breitbart News. It came out on um, 119. Popular college textbook on sexuality complains there aren't enough trisexual characters on television. You never heard of tri... How many of you heard of trisexualism? Put your seatbelts on. Because what I'm telling you is, some people say, well, you know, we'll give them gay marriage and they'll be content and society will adjust. No. There is an agenda here. It has nothing to do with gays, straights, or whatever. There's an agenda to literally take out every law, to have everything knocked down, and to just allow people to live, as the book of Judges says, everybody does what's right in their own eyes. Let me read this, and then I'm going to close, because I said we'd go to 11.45. Excuse me. Trisexual, which according to the Urban Dictionary means a person who will try anything sexual, is the focus on a complaint in a recently published textbook, textbook that has been assigned at universities across the country, including UC Berkeley. And there was a whole list at the bottom of the article, and there are universities close to us in this state, Pennsylvania, whatever, that are using this textbook. The complaint is that trisexual individuals aren't represented with characters on mainstream television. 
We have to have this, folks. By the way, we used to call that hedonism, essentially finding pleasure wherever you could find it. There's another name for that. They're, the people that do that are users. They leave a trail of broken, hurt people behind them. In contrast, it goes on, quote, in contrast, visibility of other non-binary sexualities is limited on both a local and national level. Nationally, there are currently no pansexual, trisexual, heteroflexible characters on scripted primetime television. By the way, let me stop there and ask you, how many really committed, balanced evangelical Christians are on television right now? Hey, how many? How about Orthodox Jews? Any of those out there? Can't have that. Torchwood Jack Harness comes closest as he is referred to as an omnisexual in one of the novelization spinoffs of the show. And in Lexington, the initialism, uh, I'm not even going to go all the letters there, is used at the University of Kentucky's outsource, which does include queer as an individual possibility. However, labels such as pansexual and queer have been used very infrequently in pub local publications and only in the last decade. I was unable to find any local publication using alternate terms such as heteroflexible and trisexual. Now, you could say, I just want to mind my own business and live my life and be a good person. There are some places in the world right now that you will be fined, arrested, and you will have to pay money for using the wrong gender pronoun once somebody declares that. If they change while you are on vacation and you come back, you could be in trouble. I'm not kidding, folks. There are court cases right now, especially in England. England is kind of taking the lead in this. Canada people that have been fined literally over $100,000 in some case. So it's not a matter of, is this going to go away? So here's our challenge. How do we love? How do we speak the truth? And I, and I, and I, I want to just finish with three things. I just want to say this to you, and you can turn off the... We need to speak the truth in love, but we also need to realize our kids are at risk. As parents, we can't be naive and think that this is not going to be presented to them at school. How do you deal with that? You're going to answer to the Lord. Matthew 18 says this. Matthew 18 is a very interesting verse. He, Jesus takes a little child and calls that child to him, and he's holding this child. And he says, unless you become like this child, none of you can enter the kingdom of God. And then he goes on to say, if anyone hurts one of these children, it would be better for them to have an upper millstone tied around their neck and they're thrown into the depths of the sea. He said that at the synagogue in Capernaum. Now, I don't know if it hit the rest of you that were in Israel last May. We stood there in Capernaum and right next to where the synagogue was, was the olive oil place and the place where they ground grain. These stones are still there. These are the stones that Jesus talked about. And as you look, the Sea of Galilee is just a matter of maybe 100 yards from where the synagogue was. You can imagine Jesus speaking to a group of people and saying, you see these stones? Any of you mess with a kid, it's going to be better for you to have one of these stones tied around your neck than you come into heaven and come into judgment for that. Folks, there is a judgment. And he goes on to say, he said, don't you know that the angels that guard these children have special access to the Father in heaven? 
I'm concerned about contending that we love people that are broken out there. But I'm really a little bit more worked up about our kids right now. I have to tell you that because they can't speak for themselves. Folks, we need to pay attention to what's happening in our culture. And it's almost like walking a tightrope to love and to speak truth, isn't it? But God has our hand. He's saying, come on with me. Can we just bow our heads for a moment? I want to close in prayer. I had several people after last week that came up to me and they said, you know, when you shared your story about the abuse and about being adults getting pornography into your hands as young as age, I was seven years old. How does a seven-year-old contextualize that? Not very well. But I had a number of people that came and they said, you know, that happened to me. Something similar happened to me. I want to take a moment in prayer this morning because I feel like God wants to heal hearts. There are people here today that are struggling. The Lord said some are struggling with forgiving the people that abused them, forgiving the people that did not protect them. The Lord wants you to be able to grow and to move beyond the damage that was done because of the sexualization of society or because of the abuse that you experienced. I want to speak to a second group of people. I believe there are people here, before you came to Christ, you believed what the world was saying and you lived that lifestyle. And because of that, you're still reaping a harvest that's hard to deal with. The Lord wants you to know so much that he loves you. He wants to heal and restore your heart. Can I just ask you to reach out to the Lord today? Can we do that? Let's stand together. Heavenly Father, I just pray right now. I believe there are people here, Lord, that have experienced the brokenness of our world. Lord, we so desperately need your love and your touch. Lord, I know for years I lived with guilt. I lived with shame. And Lord, those things don't produce the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our life. The Lord is saying right now to some of you, it's time to let go. It's time to let go of the people that hurt you, not for their sake, because he'll take care of them. I hope the people that were did not protect me and the people that abused me, I hope they find forgiveness in Christ. It's not my job to judge them. I want them to experience what I've experienced, God's love and healing. But when I was able to let go of that and forgive those that hurt me, God did a work of healing in me. And all of a sudden, I was able to soar. I was able to grow. The Lord is saying the same thing to you today. Would you let go? It's not a matter of people being worth forgiving. It's a matter of forgiving because Christ forgave us. This is so personal. I'm not going to ask people to come to the front. But if the Lord is doing something in you right now, would you just do that in your heart? Would you just say, Lord, I want to release these people? For those of you that live the lifestyle and you're still getting a harvest and you need your heart to be healed over this, just reach out to the Lord right now, will you? I love the list of people that God gives in Corinthians where he says some of you were and in that group were adulterers, people that committed fornication, sex outside of marriage, homosexuals, 
people that were abusers, people that were swindlers, people that were liars. All of us were something at one time. And God, we want to reach out to you and we ask you to make us a new creation. Everything we sung about today, everything we talked about at communion, we need to experience that new creation. I just sense the Lord is doing healing right now. The Lord is doing healing right now. The Lord is telling me there are five women here, and I'm not going to give explicit details, but what the Lord is saying is there are people that did not protect you. There were adults in your life that did not protect you. You need to forgive them. What a lot of us don't understand is some of the adults in our life were abused too. They don't know. They just think it's normal. And Father, I pray that you would help us to be salt and light, to be total love, but at the same time to boldly proclaim your truth like we've never proclaimed it before. Lord, I ask you to forgive us as a culture for not protecting our children. Forgive us as parents when we have not protected our children. Forgive us for not speaking out when we should have spoken out for our children, God. Some of us need to repent for that. The Lord is saying that you you need to repent. You need to ask his forgiveness. There's a judgment on this land because of that. There's a judgment on America and on Western culture because we have victimized children. We have not treated women well. It's time for us to own that and say we need to be like Jesus. We need to follow in his ways. Help us, O oh God. Help us, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. But let me pray a prayer of blessing and just release us to wherever we're going to go. Heavenly Father, I thank you that your word is so true. Lord, if you had not forgiven us, what would we do? You love us so much. God, your work of transformation in us is an ongoing miracle. Help us, Lord, to be a living, a living Bible to the people around us that have never heard of you or that don't know your power. Let them see what you're doing in us and say, I want that. I need that. Give us opportunities to share the truth and the love of Christ in a way that glorifies you. Wherever we go, Lord, give us those opportunities, we pray. And Lord, just bless every household here. Let our households be safe places where your glory resides and where our children are safe and where your truth is lived out. We thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.